0: Thanks, Julianne. Have I got too much? There we go. It's a bit better. Uh, Friends, a few weeks ago, uh, we saw in Matthew chapter 14 Jesus feeding the 5,000. Not just 5,000, but 5,000 men with women and children besides. Matthew 14, verse 21. We hear in Matthew 14, verse 13 that Jesus had compassion on them. He was moved in his Uh, physically, the gut-wrenching compassion to pour out on these people that which they needed. He healed their sick, and with five loaves and two fish, verse 17, they ate and were satisfied. Chapter 14, verse 20. Five loaves, two fish, and yet 12 baskets of leftovers were collected far more than what they started with was collected at the end. And here, Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, again, Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Having healed their lame, the blind, the crippled, and the mute, verse 29 to 31, with seven loaves and a few small fish, as you see there in verse 34, they ate and were satisfied And this time, seven baskets were collected, far more than what they started with. A superabundance, an overflow of food. This time, it was 4,000 men, verse 38, with women and children besides. Our Lord, our Christ, has compassion upon his people. While Matthew doesn't make it explicit here in this chapter, presumably the 4,000 that he's feeding here has a large mix of the nations within it. He's just come from the region of Tyre and Sidon and he's returning back to the Sea of Galilee where parts of the Sea of Galilee had many uh, of the nations uh, living there. And the other Gospels make it a bit clearer that Here, he is most likely feeding more than just Jews, but the nations also, as a prelude, as we saw last week, to the gospel going out to all nations. Jesus has compassion, and he does what only God can do. We remember the stories back in the Old Testament, particularly the giving of manna from heaven, the people in the wilderness. Needing food, and God provides what they need. And more than what they need, this shepherd of Israel, making them sit down in green pastures, provides a superabundance, finishing with more than what they started with. These are the deeds of the Messiah, of the Christ. God's anointed king at doing only that which God can do. Unless we're in doubt about this person that we're seeing, and in next week's passage we're going to be confronted with the question for us to deal once again or perhaps for the first time with who it is we think Jesus is. Here again we see Matthew remind us Not explicitly, but gently using Old Testament language, Old Testament ideas to bring us to a knowledge that this one is God's anointed king. You see there, if you look with me at chapter 15, verse 29, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He went up on the mountain and sat down and great crowds came bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, and the mute, and many others, and they put him at his feet. Why does he mention those ones specifically? In other places, he just talks about those who need healing from sickness. But he specifies out the lame, the blind, the crippled, and the mute, unless we forget what we've just heard, he repeats it again. He healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. They wondered, they questioned in amazement at what's going on and they glorified the God of Israel. If those words sound familiar to us, it's because they are familiar to us. Back in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist had heard about these things. He was in prison, he heard about what Jesus was doing and this is what he asked Jesus. He sent his disciples. He said, Are you the one who is to come? Are you the Christ? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John wonders if Jesus really is the Christ or whether they should expect somebody else. And Jesus' answer, look at the signs. Look at the signs and see. Blessed is he who doesn't fall away, who doesn't stumble on my account but I've actually left something out of that reading from Matthew chapter 11 because this is how Matthew introduces that little episode. When John, who is in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, the deeds of the Christ, he sent and asked, These things, this bringing the blind sight, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the crippled to stand, the mute to speak, these are the things of the Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed King. As we see the signs, so we look and see the reality of who Jesus is. And they are deeds of compassion. It's one thing to be pointed to who Jesus is through these signs, these wonders, but to be pointed with a sure and certain knowledge that he is for us. His compassion is for us. That he is compassionate. Truly, God is good and to be thanked. So many signs so many wonders chapter 16 verse 1 the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him and they asked him to show them a sign from heaven what do you feel the disjunction all of these signs poured out one upon another and if that's not enough He feeds 5,000 with more left over at the end than there were at the beginning. And then he does it again with 4,000 and men and uh, women and children besides. More at the end than there was at the beginning. A superabundance of an outflowing of compassion. And these signs, they point to who he is. And Jesus gives a sign. It's crazy. They put God to the test. No matter what God gives them, they demand more. It's not enough. As Jesus has already put it earlier on in, uh, in this gospel, they come, uh, he comes, or John the Baptist came fasting and the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, their response is, well, he's got a demon. Jesus doesn't come fasting and they say, well, he's a glutton of tax collectors and sinners. No matter what God does, they are determined not to see it. This willful blindness. They are so knowledgeable about other things, but when it comes to God, they're destitute, spiritually impoverished. Jesus uses uh, their their knowledge in other areas by referencing uh, the idea of sky at night, uh, Emma introduced me uh, to the modern version of this, but I always get it wrong. Um, what is it? Uh, red, red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Is that it? Or sailor's delight? And then uh, red sky dawning, shepherd's morning. Uh, it actually works if you live with the sea on. I think it's it's on the on the west, so it doesn't work so much in Sydney but it works a lot better in Perth, uh, I'm told. Um, uh, And similarly here on the Mediterranean. They can see the signs in the sky and know how to interpret things in the secular, in the mundane. And yet when it comes to spiritual matters, they have nothing. To use another Uh, phrase that we saw last week and has been picked up in our uh, cultural vocabulary. They are the blind leading the blind. Leaders who will just lead you into a pit and fall into it. And yet these are the people that seemingly had wisdom. They seemingly were persuasive and had appeal. They were the religious people. They were the seemingly godly people and yet when it came to actually coming before their God blind and they demanded signs, and Jesus refuses to give them any more other than the sign of Jonah. That is, the one who, for three days and three nights, was in the belly of the whale and resurrected, if you like, as he spat back on dry land. So much evidence, and yet a blindness. The disciples get into the boat with Jesus, but they've forgotten to bring bread. If you want an argument for there being humour in the Bible, I reckon this passage is one of them. Jesus could have said anything at that point. He could have just said, beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. No. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He knew that they were talking about bread. And he uses a bread metaphor to warn them of something else. And it's like children in the back seat after they've been reprimanded. You know what they do? They uh, continue the argument, thinking that it's behind, under cover, and you know they're nudging one another. And it's because we brought no bread. And we don't know what they said, but you can imagine the situation, can't you? Who was supposed to bring the bread? Judas, did you bring it? No? What about the other Judas? Well, I thought I was supposed to sell it, and I pocketed the money. Matthew can tell you he counted it before I pocketed it. Or maybe James and John were supposed to bring it. No, they're too busy having a burping competition, the sons of thunder that they are. Well, what about Peter? We should have brought bread. I'll die before I forget bread ever again. What about Nathaniel? Well, it would have been Nazarene bread and nothing good comes out of Nazareth. <laughs> Bartholomew. Oh, finally, you remember who I am. Everyone forgets my name. I don't have the bread either. No, we don't know what they talked about. But there is this kind of uh, immaturity about them. They forgot to bring bread and all they can focus on is the lack of bread. And Jesus points out what they've so quickly forgotten. I just fed 5,000 men, women and children besides with a few loaves and there were 12 basketfuls left over. I just fed 4,000 men, women and children besides And there were seven baskets left over. So much more. Why are you concerned about bread? Why are you concerned about food? I have compassion on you. I can provide those things. And it reminds us of earlier in the gospel, doesn't it? Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about what you're going to eat and drink, what you're going to wear God knows that you need those things and is able to provide them. Rather, seek the kingdom. And so Jesus reminds them here to not be like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't get hung up on bread. Don't get hung up on food and drink and what you're going to wear and the day-to-day necessities of life. God knows you need them. Trust him to provide. Concern yourself with the weightier matters. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Chapter 16, verse 12, they understood that he didn't tell them to beware the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Brothers and sisters, God knows what you need. For us personally, this has been a year where we've been thrust back on these truths as a family, that God knows what we need. And even in the last week, he's begun to provide some answers to that. Towards the end of this year, Uh, our um, personal circumstances will change and our ability to feed the family and clothe the family and send them to school and a place to live and all those things will change. It's been a long year of waiting for what God is going to do in answer to that. The prayer of everybody back in March and April when we first left Watson's Bay was we pray that God would answer that quickly well it hasn't been quick in our perspective and we still don't have an answer and it's been hard but a passage like this is a reminder and an encouragement and a correction and a rebuke god knows what we need don't be concerned about the bread Be concerned for his kingdom. And in that respect, be on guard. You may be feeling similarly. Livelihood at stake in this era of coronavirus. Questions about the future, about health, about what's next. Not just in family life, but in church life, in the communities in which you exist. God knows what you need, He can and will provide. We concern ourselves with other things. And the particular warning in this passage is to be on our guard against the things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees do. What in this passage do they do? They test God. They demand things of God. Can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, to take stock of your prayer life, not just privately, but also corporately, in your Bible study groups when you meet one-on-one because it can spread like yeast through the dough and we can become blind to what we're doing towards our God. In our prayer life, we must always refrain from putting conditions on our prayers. I praise you, God, but, thank you, God, but, I will do this, God, if you do this for me. Please answer this prayer, God, and then I'll really know. No, we bring our requests to God, but we don't put conditions on it, demands on it. We are but his humble servants, his children, and we trust him to have the compassion that he so abundantly shows. But we don't put conditions upon him. Test him to prove his love towards us. He's already shown it. Brothers and sisters, as we see a passage like this, we are reminded of the compassion of our God and we give thanks for his goodness and we know that his steadfast love endures forever. He will look after us about bread. But we concern ourselves with the kingdom And be on our guard against things that will take us away from the kingdom, producing hardness of heart and demanding things of God. Brothers and sisters, hear and give thanks that Jesus has compassion upon you and upon me. Let me lead us in prayer. We give thanks to you, our Lord and God, because you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. We thank you for the abundant display of Jesus' compassion, feeding the 5,000 and then the 4,000, healing the lame, the crippled, healing the mute, the deaf, the blind. Father, we pray that we would have such confidence in him about our day to day needs, that we would trust you completely to not be fatalistic, but also at the same time to trust that you know how to look after us. And we pray that instead we would concern ourselves with the things that you give us to be concerned about. Your kingdom, its righteousness, and the spread of that kingdom in this world